more points online. We are honored that you're joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to get there as well. We are so excited to hear a powerful message from God's word today. I'm excited about today's message because God has really, really, listen to me, been dealing with me in these areas. As a matter of fact, when we decided to do Freedom in Christ, the Galatians series, I thought this is going to be cool because I've studied this so much, took a class on Galatians in college. I'm very familiar. So this is going to be stuff that I've walked in and gone through, not am going through. <laughs> Wrong. Like God's not playing my game, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and the reality is I've been chewing on this one really, really big time because I believe this is one of the most simple messages I've ever preached in my entire life. And in its simplicity, it has messed with me all week. Because, because the, the Bible, listen to me, and let's, let's be more specific than the Bible. I don't like that. Christianity, what Jesus came to accomplish, what he's all about, is much simpler than we make it. Listen to me again. Much simpler than we make it. Because here's what we do. When God gives us and reveals us, in us, through us, begins to speak to us, we then put things on other people that they aren't quite as good as what I am because I got this to happen to me. So I got the gift of prophecy. And when I'm prophesying, I'm farther along than you are. I got the gift of this. I have great faith. I have great this. And all of a sudden, we start adding things to what God did and why I am able to be a follower of him in the first place. And I believe the most difficult part of Christianity is not the theology side of is God really who he says he is. And for some of you, that may be the case. But I believe the hardest part of Christianity is this is way too simple. This is way too simple. This has to be a little bit more. The message is way too simple. There's got to be more to it. What God's begun to reveal in my life is I will preach all day long that I don't add anything to the gospel. And all I mean when I say gospel, by the way, is the death burial and resurrection of the person of Jesus, that he bought and purchased my salvation, and there's nothing else that had to be done for that to happen. And, and so when I say that, it's the good news. It, it just means that. And when I say these things, it feels awkward because there's got to be more to it. It's way too good to be true. There's got to be more to it. And here's the deal. In this day in Galatians, these people were the descendants of the Gauls, and, and they had believed the message. The church itself had believed the message. And yet, what listen, what they were finding is they were adding to the story. That people were going through these motions of, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to believe Jesus is who he says he is. But they need to do the following things. And they were beginning to add to the story. And so the title of today's message is The Contract. Everybody say The Contract. contract. Say it again. Say The Contract. contract. The Contract. Some of y'all have filled one of these out before. Now, this is not the real ones that you get from the state. But this is a mock marriage certificate, a marriage license. I filled out 50-something of these. I've done 50-something weddings. And my responsibility is to fill the whole thing out. Bride and groom, your responsibility is to sign your name and, and excuse me, print your name and sign it. 
And that's it. Sometimes you got to put the date. It's good, by the way, this is a side note, it has nothing to do with the message. It's good to know that date, too, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that when you get home. What was our anniversary again? But that's all your responsibility is. Listen, it's ridiculous to get married. I don't have to have vows that last an hour. Did you know this? I don't have to have dancing. I don't have to not have dancing. I don't have to have a preacher. I can have someone who can just seal, plow. Notary Austin, right? And you're ordained too, so you can do both. But like, but you can just be a notary, and anybody could, this a notary can marry you. It doesn't take magic. It just takes a signature. You honestly, you can just say, yes, I do, yes, I do, bam, bam, and it can take 30 seconds. Did y'all know that if you did say yes? yes. If the rest of you didn't say no. Because <laughs> only like six of y'all said yes. And I've been to weddings, y'all, different denominations, ain't matter nobody, but I've been at weddings that have lasted an hour and a half, and I'm sitting there in the middle of an hour and a half. Now, y'all better pay attention to what I'm saying right now. And sometimes I preach long, and I love to preach now. But when you're standing up there and you got a, the, the suit things, the tuxedos and the whatnots, and then people choose outside weddings in July because that's smart. <laughs> I love y'all if y'all had one of those, but I'm just telling the truth. And after 15 minutes, because that's my average length wedding, I'm like, we did it all, and we honored Jesus, and it's time to sign the paper. Someone say, sign the paper. Sign the paper. So an hour and a half in on the 17th song, my gosh, just marry them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, goodness gracious. Young party, as long as you want to afterwards, I don't care. I'm going to go home. <laughs> right? And so y'all have been to different ones like I have, but at the end of the day, none of that extra stuff in the 12 songs and the, none of my message, whether it's long or short, none of that really matters. The only thing that matters is, did you make the covenant signed, sealed, and delivered? That's it. Did you know when I marry somebody and they go on their honeymoon, they're really not married? Now, listen, this is awkward for some people. Ooh, they sin then. But technically, by the state, they're not truly married until you get that paper back from DHEC. I mean, you can still do whatever, but <laughs> praise the Lord. But the whole deal is, is it sealed, signed, delivered? Everybody say signed. Here's the problem with Christianity. No matter your background, I'm talking about from people in here that you don't know Jesus and you don't even know if you believe in this Jesus thing to people like me that have never missed church and if you did, someone was real sick. And that was Sunday night and Wednesday night and Tuesday night for whatever we went up there on Tuesday night for and everything else. It's the same. It's that a groom, that, that a God who is so great looked down on a people that needed rescuing and sent his own son to be the groom because he looked at a people and said they can't do it. There's nothing they can do and calls us the bride. And it's all about a covenant, a contract, a binding agreement with God. But the problem with that is That's awkward. Because even if I am someone that signed the contract, and I'm going to show you how we do that in a second, but even if I am someone that's done that, 
once I've done that, I don't really believe that's enough. So what do I do? I either do one of two things. I either want to make addendums to that contract to where we can just add some sidebars. God, I'm cool with you. But these things really don't need to happen if we're going to be official. So then we'll add what I call spiritual prenups. Spiritual prenups. Jesus, I'm all for you and I'm yours alone as long as. Because at the end of the day, sometimes when bad things happen to us, it feels like God cheated on us. Or it feels like God should love me more than he loves you. And I know I'm the only crazy person that will admit this, but if we could be honest with ourselves, we would say this, I've done the following things for you, so God, why? Why did these things happen? Why would you ever let? Where have you gone in all this? And we add things to the simplicity of what is the gospel. I'm not saying it's simple to a belief. I'm saying it's simple in itself. And so I begin to add addendums. Now listen, here's the ones that God showed me even this last week in my own life. Offense. Everybody say offense. Yes. I'm not offended. <laughs> Nothing offends me. <laughs> I look at y'all's Facebook pages and I promise you, <laughs> you offended. I mean, you're either offended by what President Trump is doing now or by what President Obama did. I promise, almost everybody in the room, offended. Now, disagreeing is not offense, but calling him names is offense. What an idiot. I'm offended. Disagreement, not offense at all. And when I begin to operate under offense, listen to me, that means I have held in unforgiveness in my life, and the reason that I do that is I believe I deserve it and you don't. Because what I did wasn't quite as bad as what you did. And you know why I do that? I do that because I changed the contract. I changed the contract. I changed what it takes to really be a son or daughter of the king. I changed what it looks like. I changed what it sounds like. But by God, I will stand up here and I will tell you Christ alone. But do you know what I'm finding in my own life? And God revealed this to me while I was cutting grass yesterday. And I just want y'all to know that is typically not a real spiritual time for me. That's a sweaty time. <laughs> Especially in the summer. Jesus did it. But while I'm cutting grass, I'm just going through this Rolodex of people that I would have sworn to you I forgave. And by the way, I did with my mouth. just not with my life. And I began to realize that roots of bitterness were creeping up. And I didn't even see it. And I was so convicted. I've been convicted all week about this. And here's the reason that I'm so convicted about it. It's because I can tell you what's on a paper or a tablet or an iPad or an iPhone or an app that is your Bible, but listen to me. You don't need information. You need impartation. You need God to rescue you. And when it's just info, nothing changes. Someone say nothing. Nice. Nothing changes. And that's what Christianity to me feels like today. But I'm talking about me if I'm not talking about any of y'all. 
because I'm very educated, y'all. I'm very educated. And I find that a lot of times I stand on an education and not on a God who loves me. And it traps me. And I'm going to show you why. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Galatians 3. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week, if you remember it. We're aiming at the wrong target. Sin means to miss the mark. This is all about the simple message because the people were adding to the message about Jesus. They were adding, the leaders, the people in the church were adding, and Paul said no. And in, listen, in chapters 3 and 4, this is when Paul lays the gauntlet down and said, this is what it's about. This is the true belief system. This is what we do. So look at this. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10 says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything. I mean, that's awkward right there. It starts bad. Everyone who does not do everything is cursed. Everyone who doesn't do everything that's written in the book of the law is cursed, is under a curse, and will forever be cursed. So help me God. I am done. I am finished. There's nothing I can do. And, and this is what this means. When I try to set the standard myself and when I begin to operate saying, no, 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 God did it all, but not for you because <laughs> you wronged me. Because you did something that I don't like. So it's not good enough for you. God, you must love me a little bit more because I've done the following things. And he says, but Christ redeemed. Everybody say redeemed. Y'all know what redeem means, to buy back, to purchase back. I'm, I'm not supposed to need redemption, but sin came in the world, right. right? And immediately when sin came through Adam and Eve, I, being a son of Adam, sinned. I sinned before I even think about sinning. I've sinned today, and I can't even tell you all of them. Just because I'm breathing, I'm sinning in myself. Listen. And because of that, I needed to be purchased back. I could not be one of his. So he said, Christ redeemed us from that curse because I can't follow all those 605 laws that's crazy. By becoming a curse for us because it's written, curses everyone who's hung on a tree. Watch this. So the purpose, everybody say the purpose. You should circle chapter 14 in your Bible because he tells you right there, this is the whole purpose. This is the point. Paul is giving you in this letter, in this part of the letter, I'm telling you this is the whole point. This is every bit of the point, and everything that we're going to do circles back to this point, that the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham could come to the Gentiles by Christ alone, not by Christ and then what we do, not by Christ and a couple extra things, not by adding anything to this, no prenups, no addendums, but Christ alone, so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. That all the promise of God, 2 Corinthians 1.20, are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That everything that's ever been written and everything that ever will be written is all sealed, signed, and delivered through Jesus. That's it. That always will be it. He is the promise of God. So it says, brothers and sisters, I'm using this illustration. What illustration? That this is all about a covenant. That's literally what he's saying. He's showing you the covenant that we have the opportunity to make with God, period. This is about a marriage license that I simply have to say I do to my king, who is my Lord, who is my friend, who loved me first. He's my groom. God loved me, so he sent him to me. And he's asking me, have you signed? Because Jesus already signed in his blood. But he's waiting you to sign by calling him Lord. So he says, 
Isn't this cool? He says, no one sets aside or makes additions. You don't have to add to it or validate it by other people. I don't need validation from human will, and I, and I don't need to make any additions. That was happening at the time. By the way, that's what's happening in every church in the country today. Why? Because it's too simple. It would be easier if I had to do something to be loved than to be looked at in my grotesqueness of the things that I know I've done and will do. And when I'm not, when I haven't, when it's just that, here's the truth. This might just be me, but I feel naked and ashamed because I'm thinking to myself, I literally had this thought go through my mind yesterday while I was pushing that lawnmower. I know what thoughts I had this week. Why would you love me? Because I sure wouldn't. And in that moment, God just, I mean, I'm trying to make additions and addendums. Because it says now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. This is so powerful, y'all. To his seed, to his seed, he does not say to and to, what does it say? Seeds. Seeds. It says seed. As though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. So what he's saying there is when God came and spoke to Abraham that the one seed was Jesus from the beginning. Absolutely. Always has been, always will be. How many of y'all grew up in church? Let me see your hands. You grew up going to church? Then y'all better sing with me right now. Father Abraham, do the right arm. Come on. Turn around. Y'all know it. So let's, that's enough. It's terrible. So humanly speaking, that's true. That's true because Abraham is the, is the, is the father of Israel from a, from a human perspective. But the true seed was not Isaac, was not Jacob. Even though God said, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were God's men, the one true seed ain't them. The true seed had not come yet. And for a lot of us, the true seed hasn't come to us. So I want to show you all something using my beautiful, amazing, awesome first lady wife. <laughs> seed. Everybody say seed. I want to teach y'all this. The word seed in the Greek is the word sperma, and it is exactly what you think it is. It's where we get our English word from that. And here's what it means. It means seed, children, offspring, family. But I think this is even more powerful. It's whatever possesses vital force or life-giving power. So it makes sense that sperma, life-giving power, and then it means something even more when it comes to seed. It's, it's divine energy of the Holy Spirit when he's operating in my soul. That regeneration, reviving, being renewed happens only when life is given through the, what's the word? Seed. Everybody can say it. Through the? Seed. Through the seed. Through the seed. Through the seed. But when I begin... You can take that off. When I begin 
to add to this, what I'm saying is the seed wasn't enough. Like that, there's no way that's enough. There's no way that, that you can impregnate me with your spirit so that I have new life where I was dead. There's no way that's enough. There's got to be something that I do to activate the seed. There is, it's called faith, and that's it. Just faith in him alone. Yeah, but what about what I'm doing, Pastor? If you knew my thought life, if you knew my past, if you knew what I had done, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did not come for the good. He came for the sick. I'm going to preach a little bit right now. You know what I'm tired of in this country is being a seedless church. That has signed the wrong contract or added to it unnecessarily. I don't care which one. I'll go with whatever you do, best friend. <laughs> you so pretty. I need y'all to know as Leah's cutting this open that watermelon is not my favorite thing. Here's why. When I was in the eighth grade, we had a seed spitting contest. And I just need y'all to know, if y'all don't know this about me, I don't like to lose. That's why I chose the Gamecocks. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not a good joke, Pastor. And I ate the whole watermelon. The guy is on vacation that goes to our church that was with me. I don't think you probably remember that. I hope not because you've married me, so it's your fault if you do. But, but I ate the whole watermelon. I need y'all to know I won. But I also did what you would expect would happen if you eat a whole watermelon. So <laughs> since then, I have this tendency if I ever get sick, I don't want that thing again, right? And so I don't like watermelon. Now, young people, where are y'all? This is a seeded watermelon. <laughs> it's a watermelon with seeds in it. And I don't know if y'all know this, but they're hard to find now. Because we had to look a little bit. Praise the Lord, we got one. But typically, they don't have seeds in them anymore. Now, here's the problem when it's not seeded. Look at that, Leah. It's when it's not seeded. When this isn't in there, these black seeds, the watermelon can't reproduce itself. Did you know that? Those seedlings, the little white seedlings in the watermelons that you buy, they ain't nothing. They are impotent. There is no seed in them at all. It's just a little shell that is not able to reproduce at all. But here's what I find interesting about a watermelon that is seedless. Number one... It's very hard to find a seeded watermelon anymore, isn't it? Farmer's markets, Whole Foods, places like that. Because these are everywhere. You know what's interesting about this guy? On the outside, he looks the same. If I bite into it, it tastes the same. It's the sweet one. It smells. <laughs> I had to. That was for you because I love you. Everything about it feels the same, looks the same. And if I'm judging only based on human performance, I would say they're exactly the same. I mean, they're sweet to people, right? They're, they're, they're completely, look, these things, I mean, this one's sweet and this one's sweet. This one's green and this one's green. This one looks and this one looks. This one does and this one does. They both make me feel better. They both make me do. And when moralism becomes how I live my life, believing that what I do justifies me, makes me right in Christ, I'm just like this. 
This is what the church looks like. We are sweet as can be. We, we fight for things that are important. We stand up and we say that president should or that president shouldn't. We look out, but we are seedless to reproduce what Christ did in us. And here's the problem. God, I could preach so long on this. Matthew 13 says that his word, by the way, Jesus is the word, is the seed. But in most of us, it hit rocky soil and bounced off. But yeah, but I know all about Jesus. Yeah, but you're impotent. Remember, remember at the beginning of this thing when Shannon spoke and I had to come up and I talked about revival. I'm going to show you what revival looks like. These things look the same, so you would say they both should be able to be revived, but this one has the seed planted in it. Yes. And the Bible says that unless this seed dies, dies, everybody say dies, dies. Then, it, then even the seed can't produce life. But when the seed dies and is planted, and, and, and Paul throughout, this is what's so interesting about Galatians, y'all, Paul throughout this uses uses agriculture because agriculture was the biggest money maker in Galatia that day. And so the fruit of the Spirit and the reap what you sow and the over and over in these chapters, it's all this, this theme, but it starts with seed. And when they saw sperma, when they saw seed, they were thinking an actual seed that reproduces itself and gives life, but then they realized, oh my goodness, he's not talking about a watermelon seed or a grass seed or any of those other seeds. He's talking about the one true seed, Jesus. And whenever I feel dead places, listen to me, in my life. Whenever I feel like I'm not giving life or getting life, it's because I've signed a prenup in my own mind where I begin to say, God, I'm good with you and this Jesus thing sounds pretty cool, but you better not change it. And you know what I find myself doing? I find myself praying prayers of like, God, I pray that you'll give me the ability to. Do you know that all I need to do is pray, God, you've already given me the ability to because you planted your seed in me. I have the Holy Spirit of God in me, so I just pray that you'll activate what you already planted in. I don't pray that I'm good enough. I don't pray that I'm smart enough. I don't pray that I look good enough. I don't pray that I'm talented enough. I just pray that they can see you when they cut me open. And you know, I'm learning this about me that I don't like. Tissues are on time for the sticky fingers of the sweet one. I don't even really want to preach this, but I'm going to preach it because it's me. I'm finding that I put these stipulations on these guys, my own self, and say, I studied my Bible for three hours today, so I must be good to go. And there's impotence in that. Now, it's powerful. The word never returns void. But if all I'm doing is letting it hit my head, that's not where God plants things. Your heart is the garden. And there's a lot of people in this room that have a ton of head knowledge that you could teach a theology class the belief of God. But you're impotent and powerless because you signed a prenuptial agreement saying, I'm cool with God unless, as long as these things don't happen to me. And they did. And there's bitterness that's rooted up. And so when I first taste you in your life, the way you live, it tastes sweet until I get to the center. And it's gotten rotten. 
It's gotten old and bitter. It's hard. Because we're sweet on the outside. But you get to that middle and there's a pit. It's like a peach pit. It's so hard. People look at us and go, what's wrong with him? It's the seed. Paul's letter is so fascinating, y'all, because I can't wait to show you what it says right here in the next few verses. I just have four or five more verses, but it's like he undresses this illustration completely for us and says, no, it's truly about Jesus. It's truly about believing that he died, was buried, and rose again. It's truly about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. Everything before and after is about Jesus. And then his spirit, by the way, is what the Holy Spirit is. He is alive. He is a person, and he is in you. He is seated in you. He seals your salvation. That is who he is. And whenever we think it's a magic trick that God wants to come do these magic shows so you look good, then we work as hard as we can to be sweet, but there's no power at all because the power's in the seed. The purpose is in the seed. The hope is in the seed, not in the watermelon. This thing can never be reproduced again because it's powerless, but we sure do love how it tastes, how it sounds. And there's people that are talented on stages all over the United States and the world today that they sound good, they're gifted, they look good, but the power does not come in the sound of my voice. The power comes in the seed that is where the sound takes place, y'all. If, if I'm not seated, then I can make you clap. But if I'm seated, he'll break a yoke and everything changes. Look at this, verse 17. My point is this, <laughs> me too, that the law that came that we try to live up to and be good enough and all this came 430 years after Abraham. That there's no way it can be about the law because Moses didn't come around for 430 years. But that does not invalidate a covenant, a signed agreement that I made because Abraham had faith, he accounted it to him as righteousness, is what Hebrews 11 says. It does not invalidate this agreement that we have with God previously established by God and then cancel out all of his promise. This isn't canceled out because there's a law that we are supposed to keep up with. For if the inheritance, and we're going to get into that next week, but I'll give you this much of a nugget. The inheritance that matters most is that I have life in Jesus' name, that I'm a son because of what he did. If it's based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise. Remember, the promise is the Holy Spirit that was to come to seal us. It was Jesus rescuing us. But God is, has graciously given to Abraham, given it to Abraham through the promise. So verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promise? What's he say? Is the law then pro is, is the law contrary to God's promises? What's he say right here? Say it again. Is the law contrary to the promise? No. He says, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, watch this, then you would be able to do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Try a little bit harder. Do a little bit more. And you would be able to just get life and give life because of what you do. But he said, no, no, no. From the entire time this thing's been going, I did what I did because there was a group of people who were slaves who I set free. And humanly speaking, they had to have laws. Watch this. Outside laws. They had to know how to live. They had to know what to do. So God set up a contract and a governance. 
so that the people of Israel could know what to do, know where to go, know how to live. But then he gave an inside law so that when I have the parameters inside of me, everything changes. That no longer do I just have to follow a list of rules because the rules are much greater and different inside of me because it's rooted in love in Christ. And so if I'm just trying to keep up with I didn't tithe enough, I didn't do this enough, I didn't do this enough, then I will operate my entire life powerless and frustrated, but I'm as sweet as I can be. Then righteousness would certainly have been on the basis of the law, but he says, but the scripture is imprisoned. Everything under sin's power. It's got parameters that imprisons us so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Christ alone that this whole thing is based on do I trust Jesus and that's it salvation is nothing else for there's no other way to heaven except by Christ alone who believe verse 23 before this faith came we were confined under the law imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed look at this the law then was our guardian everybody say guardian Say it again, say guardian. This is so cool, y'all. The guardian was a slave that worked for rich people who had children that need to be taught the ways of the master. And this guardian would take care of these children until they could look at the parents of these rich people and say, they're ready. Listen to what I'm saying. They're ready. They're ready. Let them go. Give them their inheritance. They're ready. And so it's literally the picture. When they read this word guardian, they were thinking the person that watched over the rich people who were receiving the inheritance. And, and it was different ages for different people, but that's literally what the garden was. He said, until Christ, the law acted this way so that we could be justified by faith in him. So since faith has come through the person of Jesus, we no longer are under that guardian who's preparing us for him to come. He already came. So through faith, through faith and faith alone in Christ, we are sons, everybody say sons, of God in Christ Jesus. And when that word sons is there, and we'll pick it up next week with what it says, it says in verse 28, there's not Jews or Greeks, male or female. So he doesn't mean males. It's not gender specific. Just like bride isn't gender specific. We are children of God. But you can't be a son without the seed. And many of us have walked in here today and we hope that we can do enough to be a son and we try to be a little bit better and we try to do a little bit more. See how sweet we can be. And when people look at us and they see our lives, they say, that's a great Christian couple. But let difficult things happen and we'll find out what we're seated in. whether it's a one generation type of belief that can't be reproduced and was never really rooted and grounded in Christ or whether it's something that can be reproduced because I need y'all to know that discipleship is not you being like me. Discipleship is what's in me can also be in you, so let's walk together. Let's do this life together. And I feel like there's a couple things I'm supposed to share with you as I close. 
feel like the problem with Christianity today is that in leadership, I'm talking about me now, you don't have to think about anybody else. We bait people with the good news of Jesus, with grace. Listen to me. We bait people with grace and then imprison them with the law and call it their fullest life. I'm going to say that again. We bait people that Jesus is good enough. I'm going to cry in this place because he is, y'all. Why don't we believe it? So how do you know we don't believe it? Because sweet isn't the goal. Seed is the goal. The, the thing that happened to me that was the worst thing that I've held on to for 20 years, God purposed to use to set people free that are in the same thing. But instead of letting him do that, I try to talk about them nicely. But if I'll be honest about them, whoever they are, whoever that situation is, I pray, God, I guess you just bless them. And then when I open my eyes, I'm bitter at those people. But the Bible says if the sun, remember the sun is the seed now, if the seed sets me free, I'm free indeed. And when I'm free, those things that happened to me, that abuse that took place in my life, those things of my past, they no longer have to be that. I don't have to try to be sweet. I've got the sun's sweetness in me. I now just get to be what I am in Christ Jesus. Here's why I believe a lot of us are not what we say we are. Because you will be known by what you reproduce. And we're fruitless, but we talk about it. And I believe it's a time that we've got to stop putting people in a jail cell of them not living up to our expectations for them and start letting Jesus be the expectation. And this is what came to my mind as I was cutting the grass yesterday, y'all. I mean, I was just, I just thought this. Here's what I believe my life is. And I'm not even confessing sin as much as just admitting where God is showing me where I am. We say we're a people for everybody. And I really want to be that. But you let certain people walk in here that have been at the club last night and come in here stinking, all jacked up, and we'd find out the truth. You know, if we had been in John chapter 8, if we had been in that scene in the middle of the city where Jesus walked up on the group of Pharisees that caught a woman caught in adultery and wanted to trap Jesus. Because the bait is grace. Are you really this good? And the trap is the law. And they wanted to see Jesus stone this woman. Jesus bends down in the sand, says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. One by one they leave, and then his words, y'all, this is what I want you to leave with and remember. Where are those that accuse you? This is a woman who could never be married. Her life was over for all intents and purposes. She was distraught. She was naked in the middle of the city and destroyed. And she thought, I can never have life again. There's no hope. But she met the seed that day. And when Jesus said to her, where are those that accuse you? She said, there's no one. There's no one there, Lord. This is the part. This is it. Listen to me. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Here's what we say. Go and sin no more. 
Oh, and I won't condemn you. Stop sinning. No condemnation here. We bait them with grace and trap them in the don't sin anymore. Jesus did not start with the leave your life of sin. He started with I don't condemn you. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus ran to the mess. Jesus does not hope to make you better. Jesus hopes to set the captives free. I'm a captive until the sun sets me free. And y'all, this whole thing is based on this. Listen, this is not rocket science. It's not magic. It's a contract. It's an exchange. Jesus became my garbage so he could set me free. That's it. That's it. And I believe many of you in this room have heard messages, have gone through motions, may have even gotten in some water. But until it's real life that you make a covenant with God saying, I am not worthy, but you call me worthy. I'm not able to do this. I can never do enough, but you did enough by dying and shedding your blood for me. Today, I call you Lord. I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come in my life and change me forever. I sign the contract with no addendums, no additions, and no prenups. I'm your bride today. That's what salvation is, period. That's it, no additions. I believe a bunch of you need that today. You need the bitterness and the unforgiveness to wipe clean, to be shed away forever, and then to be seated and actually be a son and daughter of the king. This is for you. I don't care how many times you've been in the church. People are gonna die and go to hell all around this country that are in churches today. This is not about church. This is not about good. This is about God sending Jesus to save my soul, period. So I need to know in this room who's ready to sign the contract and mean it, and mean it that Jesus is the only way. Will you bow your heads? Y'all, I believe there's a lot of you in this room that need to say yes to Jesus. I will not embarrass you. I simply just want you to raise your hand and say, I'm ready for today to be my day of salvation. Y'all listen, don't let anything keep you from life, from hope, from salvation in Christ alone. He's the only way that we can have life. And he wants to rescue you right where you are. So today, become a son or daughter, become a child of God by the one that loved you before you ever thought about being loved and have new life in Jesus' name by simply saying, I choose to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow Christ. Come on, all over the room, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, today's the day of salvation for me. I'm ready to follow Jesus and make him Lord of my life. Whether you said you were saved in the past or you know you never were, if your heart's beating fast and you know the Holy Spirit is tugging on you right now, I just want you to acknowledge it by raising your hand and letting me see in you. I'm ready to follow Jesus. Come on, who's the first one? I'm ready to follow Jesus. Thank you. Who else? I'm ready to follow Jesus. Come on, there's more. I'm ready to follow Jesus and make him Lord of my life. I'm tired of this life that is in jail. I'm, I'm tired of this life of destruction. Will y'all pray with me out loud? It's so simple what I'm going to pray. But I just want y'all to pray out loud with me that the Son will set us free. So Jesus, we accept your marriage proposal that you signed by shedding your blood and raising again. By faith, we trust you that you're the only way to God. You're my Lord 
You're my friend. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for loving me first. I love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want you to do. On the back of your worship guide, if you meant in your heart that prayer, and you know you had never really been seated in Christ, you had never truly trusted him, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want you to fill out that worship guide at the bottom and acknowledge that I'm making Jesus Lord of my life today. Drop it in the, the offering boxes on the way out the door in the orange boxes as they take your pens up and let us know because we want to help you. We want to walk with you. And I just need y'all to know we're all jacked up in this room. But in Christ, we're going to change the world. We're going to see miracles happen. We're going to see things that we never thought was possible because it's not about your talent. It's about his seed in you. It changes everything. So let's stand to our feet and sing about the King of glory right now. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Come on.